Hello, my friends. This is life coach Mike Chargman, and welcome to an episode of Mike's Search for Meaning. I'm after some big questions. Why are we here? What makes a fulfilling life? How can we grow individually and collectively? Each episode, I'll dive deep with leaders who are doing great work in the world and see how they organize their life. Books read, value systems, resources used, and stories that show how each of you can create the life and the world of your dreams. On today's episode, my guest is Sophia Moon. Sophia is an artist, entrepreneur, and community builder who has always followed passion in her career. She owns SM Art Studio in Charlestown, Massachusetts, leading art and music labs for children. She is also the Boston chapter host of Creative Mornings, a monthly lecture series and global movement of over 200 chapters in 65 countries. And the reason that I had Sophia on the podcast is I've been really trying to tap into my creativity and I never considered myself a remotely creative person. I went into accounting and I was an athlete, but I never, I always thought of creativity as maybe drawing or painting or writing and in spurts I wrote, but I've really come to think about how can I create more in my life? I think that's part of being alive. Sophia does such a wonderful job of describing how creativity is inherent in every person, starting when we're children. She works with as young as 12 month olds, and she can see the way that they light up when they try something new and the fearlessness that children and infants have when they're trying something new. And to me, creativity is a lot more about that than it is being really good at drawing or painting. So we tap into that and we also talk about what it means to live a life of abundance and to really manifest what it is that you want in your life and living as if it already were and not making it about the outcome, but making it more of a state of being. So I really enjoyed this conversation. It's definitely different than the ones that I've had that I've already released, but it's definitely one of my favorites that I've done so far. And I really think that you'll enjoy it too. So settle in, take a deep breath. And enjoy what Sophia has for us today. Sophia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I've been really excited to have you on. I, when I first listened to you on Andy Cahill's podcast, I, I reached out to you immediately after the conversation. And I was like, I, I have to have her on because I, I love your message about creativity and how accessible it is for everyone. But before we get into that, I want to know what it was like at your dinner table growing up and what did you want to be when you grew up? Dinner table. Wow. Um, I'm second generation Korean American. And so we have a very, it was generational. So I guess I'll, I'll start with kind of the, the main characters. Is that kind of where we're going? Like with the the entire scenery or yeah. um, like Wh- whatever direction foods, you wherever I want to take it. Oh, okay. yeah. So, your experience of what it was like growing up in your household and the dinner table. Like, okay. yes. Yeah, so paint the picture. All right. So um, 
eat-in kitchen. We had a little dining table in the corner, round one. I'm kind of like remembering all this too. Um, but because we were an immigrant family, so I was born here, I'm second generation, but my parents immigrated from Korea. So we had um, at any time, her brothers and sisters, um, my cousins, my grandmother lived with us. So it was always generational. Um, and always like I grew up mostly eating Korean food because my grandmother did most of the food preparation. Um, so there'd be, I don't know if you've ever been to like a Korean barbecue or a Korean mm -hmm. restaurant, but there's sure. always um, a wide array of like uh, side dishes that are vegetable centric, mostly pickled. Um, and then uh, I always remember having some kind of soup, like a broth, like we always had bone broth going, you know, how, like, that's a thing now everyone's like, yeah. oh, man, have you heard the newest craze bone broth? I'm like, <laughs> are you for real? That's like age old. Um, so I grew up on that. There was always a giant pot, like 24 seven going at any day on any day of the week. Um, so that was kind of it, like simple generational um, as a child and if we're talking about it from like when I was young like there was still that uh, cultural aspect where kids were uh, to be seen and not heard so mm -hmm. I don't remember speaking much I don't remember engaging much like in conversation which is very different now because I'm a mother and I have a five-year-old oh my gosh she's six I'm totally kidding she's six now <laughs> time flies so it was very different. There was no, like, nobody asked me about my day really, but everyone was kind of there. It wasn't about the talking so much as so it was about the nurturing aspect of mm. everyone sitting in one spot and sharing a meal. So um, very colorful usually. Um, we didn't come from great means, but my mom had a fruit and vegetable store. So we always had kind of like fresh produce. So it was always kind of colorful. And then we always had the warmth of soup and like a bowl of rice. And that's kind of our mainstay kind of staple. Mm. So generational warmth and colors. That's what I would say. Mm -hmm. After all that, whittling it down. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've heard like from a professional context, I'm interested in like I've heard you speak in the past about your parents both being business people and I don't know if both were, I think you've credited your mom for your, your kind of entrepreneurial spirit. And was that maybe, maybe you weren't being invited at the dinner table to uh, speak your voice, but were you always encouraged to say like pursue your passions or to problem solve? Like what, what was that element of it? So it's really funny. Like, um, Early on, I showed a, an affinity for music and for art, and that was discouraged. So bless my mother's heart. I love her and she meant well, but in, in her culture, and it, my mother was a singer as well, and my mom was very artistic and she had many um, uh, creative talents. And in her defense, like when she was younger, like with poverty and she grew up in a very poor uh, neighborhood in Korea and, so all of those things were kind of downplayed and it was more about what skills can you earn? Like, what can you do to elevate yourself, right? From an economic standpoint, financially. And so the arts and creativity when I was younger were not encouraged. Like if I didn't keep my grades up, I wasn't allowed to continue music like in school. But it's funny you bring up the whole entrepreneurial thing because on the entrepreneurial side, my parents owned like a gift shop, like a variety store in Queens. And at a very young age, I was given a lot of creative 
and entrepreneurial like decision making. My parents would we would wake up every Saturday and go to I don't know if you're familiar, but in Manhattan they have those wholesale markets and a whole bunch yes. of Korean businesses around like between 25th and like 30 30th is it street or avenue I don't even remember anymore but there are all these wholesale markets that open at like four in the morning and all the retailers go and they stock up for their businesses right so I remember as young as eight um, I was helping my parents in the business and I would wake up at like 4 30 in the morning um, so other kids got to watch comics on like Saturday like uh-huh. tv on Saturday morning I do not know what that's like um, I would get up at 4 30 I would we would drive from Brooklyn to Manhattan and that would be like a 30 minute drive, um, watch the sunrise, nap, whatever, um, until we got there. And then my parents would put money in my hands and say, you're going to go to this shop and you're going to pick up hair clips or scarves. Like we need to, we need this many uh, things, you know, inventory. They'd be like, you choose. So the idea of going into a shop and feeling like, I'm like, I think that started right around when I was 10 or 11. So I'm, going around, first of all, carrying more money than a 10-year-old should be carrying. Probably not the safest thing at like five in the morning in Manhattan, but like there was never a sense of uh, danger really. And everyone knew who I was at that point because it had been years they see me grow up. And I would go in and the sense of empowerment of saying like my parents wouldn't follow me they would go do they would go to other shops but all the colorful fun hair clips and scarves and things they would send me and I would go and I'd just say this 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 and I would pick it and I would in my head calculate you know how much money I had and how much I, I could buy and and in my head, they at some point, they started to train me to think about what the markup should be, what would be a, a proper retail pricing for it. So a lot of that control and that power they gave to me, my mom, my mom in particular, and we would uh, then bring everything to the store and I was in charge of putting the inventory out. So everything from like choosing what materials, uh, like what uh, inventory we wanted to get, um, and then how we wanted to display it, you know, what goes to the front, how do you mix the colors? So, and making them in an enticing way where people come and look at it. And even if all the red ones are the prettiest, you can't put all the red ones together because there's no contrast. There's mm-hmm. no, so then, you know, merchandising. Um, and at some point uh, it got to the point where on Fridays after school, if I was working, they would say, go around. Like I had my departments, I had uh, accessories like jewelry, uh, costume jewelry, uh, hair accessories, scarves, all of these kind of like bright, pretty things were my domain. And at some point they were like, make a list of what you need. Like mm-hmm. what's what have we sold out on and uh, where, do, where are the gaps? And like, I would then start doing inventory and um, I would decide what was gonna, what we needed to purchase. And then they would just give me the money. So yeah, in that sense, the empowerment and the entrepreneurial skills and maybe even the creative eye for what I like. Mm-hmm. And also like there's a there's a direct translation when you say, I like this and then you can act on it, right? Because like so many times kids are like, they have their preferences, but the parents will buy what they want to buy for them or you know, society or expectations kind of dictate like the snowman has to be like this. Is that is that necessarily true? So like putting that power in my hands, I think that definitely translates a lot into what I do now. 
Yeah. And, bef- and before we get into that, because I want to spend a lot of time on what you do now, yeah. it's, it's really interesting because I'm hearing what one of my curiosities was going to be like, ha- as a kid, what were your outlets for uh, mm. your expression through music? If that wasn't really being enabled as much by your parents, like mm. how did you sing, write, paint, or create in any way? But and one, one answer seems to be from the description you just gave was like, even in your parents' market, there was a way of like, you were organizing things a certain way because you knew that that would be appealing for the, you know, whatever the consumer, the someone that was going to come into the store. And so I guess my question is twofold. Was it like, was life just your canvas and you were, you were able to express your creativity no matter where you were put? And were there more explicit ways that you were able to sing, write, et cetera? Mm. So it wasn't, so music and art wasn't encouraged. Nobody was sitting there going, good job. Like, show me your next thing, like, or sing this again. And like, so there wasn't encouraging, but there was also not a, no one was stopping me either. So I could do a lot on my own. I remember um, driving my brothers crazy because we'd come from, from home from school. And if you remember those like four change CD and like the double cassette tape, you <laughs> yeah. remember those yeah. giant like stereos we grew up with, right? And I just remember like listening to, um, when we came home, the first thing I would do is play the latest song I was trying to learn. And at the time, like my influences were the, the divas, like Whitney, Mariah, Celine Dion and like seriously like my ear would be all up on that giant speaker and I would sing the same line over and over and over again until my brothers were like for the love of all that is good like stop (laughs) you know so I remember driving my younger brother crazy um but they're also musically inclined so you know my older brother I'm a middle child says a lot about me too um but my older brother, who's six years my senior, he was also into music. Ironically, he was very encouraged. My mom taught him how to play guitar. Um, he was he also sings. Now he's an engineer and producer, and he's running this whole nonprofit for teens and music. And and he was my first champion. So we always talk about that because he would be like, lay off. Like when my mom would say like, you know, stop singing so much. You're driving everybody crazy. My brother would be like, go to practice, you know, let her, let her do this. And he would, he would play a song that I was, um, that I was practicing on the piano, for instance, all self-taught. So we're, all three of us are self-taught pretty much. We had Mm -hmm. instruments at home at our disposal, but we had to teach ourselves. So he would play and then I would sing and he would encourage me to like, hey, practice holding this note a little longer, like control your breath a little bit better. And um, so I remember having championship in like my older brother and my mother loves art and music, but she just didn't want me to fall into a path where I was like, this is my life. She wanted me to be something more stable, like a doctor or lawyer, which is like the immigrant dream. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was taking it into my own hands, making sure that whatever my other expectations were, which were, I mean, I was expected to be tip top in all my grades. And I always was, you know, as long as I kept that up, nobody questioned all the other things I wanted to do. And, you know, being, having my, the store, you know, I worked there every weekend, a lot of the times, um, sometimes after school, all the holidays and vacations, 
um, I spent while other kids were off and kind of having more of a fun time. Um, I was working and, you know, even going up and down the aisles and making sure everything looked good. There was always a sense of like my eye, like whatever I saw and wanted to move around or to, I was always empowered to do that. So it's funny how that plays mm -hmm. into it. One thing that really stands out for me too, and I was just talking about this with my husband, um, you know, I like to do, uh, I like to write and do morning pages. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Yeah, sure. Julia Cameron talks about morning pages and her artist way. Mm -hmm. And for years I've been, um, I go on and off kind of depending mm -hmm. on the seasons, whatever's happening. But recently in my morning pages, I kind of meld that with um, kind of like abundance meditations. You know, we mm -hmm. have these like things that bring us across, like we have these ideas and perceptions that keep us from our own abundance, right? So I was writing about it and I was, and vividly came to mind, like my parents used to sell, I have like a flower market out front every Valentine's day and Mother's day. And like, that was my domain. I remember this like little um, neon colored fanny pack, the really like nowadays, like really dorky, right? Yeah. But it was like color block too, green, yellow, pink, orange. It was like my pride and joy. And I remember like having, complete control over the outside of the market while my parents kind of ran the gift shop inside. And like this little 10, 11, 12 year old uh, through high school, you know, me in this little pouch with like hundreds of dollars, like just bills sitting there. Like, and I understood the notion of, I have something beautiful. I'm going to exchange it for this, you know, cause ultimately money is an energy exchange. Right. Yeah. So in a lot of ways I learned that important lesson with my parents having a business, like anything that you give that is of yourself, that is beautiful, that is, uh, takes your energy and that you transfer, that that's entitled to something in return. So like that exchange in energy was something that I learned early on. And that I think as a creative or even as just a, a human being, right? Understanding your worth and what you can command, like, um, in return for the presence and energy you bring. Like, I think that was a huge um, lesson from the business too. Mm -hmm. When did you pick up the artist way for the first time? And could you explain a little bit about what it is and its level of import in your life? I mean, you already spoke about morning pages, but yeah. I'm, I'm envisioning maybe you've taken yourself on an artist date at one point or many times. And oh, yes. Yeah. So Absolutely. could you just like give a little bit of color about what the what the morning pages are and what the artist way is and when it came into your life? The artist way is a book written by Julia Cameron, who is a very prolific writer in, and creative herself. Right. And she put this book together that essentially is kind of um, a rules or a guide. It's very free and open. Right. But one of the aspects of her her teachings about finding yourself creatively are morning pages and it's three pages of free handwriting first thing in the morning you can do it any time in the day she says like done is better than not right mm -hmm. so if you don't get it done first thing um still try and and do it but i always find that in the mornings do work best for me and the idea is that it doesn't have to be poetic it doesn't have to make sense it doesn't have to it's just a brain dump mm -hmm. so that um she called i think it's if not her, then somebody else who studies her stuff referred to it as like the Western meditation, right? Mm. Because we finding silence as like in, in Western culture is so hard to do, right? It's not, 
so it's a way of like babbling yourself into clarity like you just anything that's on your mind it could be the randomest thing in the world you just jot it down because if something psychological happens when you write down what's on the tip of your mind it's that it doesn't stay there right mm -hmm. and the idea is that if you can dump every morning all the miscellaneous thoughts that first of all like there, there might be a pattern of things that you come across that you can address um a to-do list might emerge right mm -hmm. but beyond that you've just dumped kind of all of the miscellaneous thoughts from your brain validated them by writing them down so that they don't feel like they have to keep yeah. hankering in, in your brain uh, just tumbling around in there and then you can get to what you need to get to so that's one of her practices mm -hmm. um in the artist state, which you alluded to, um, I have taken myself on a lot of artist dates. And it's this idea that once a week, you put aside time, doesn't have to cost a lot of money, um, but something that you do for yourself to fill your cup, right? Mm -hmm. So creatives are often like, oh, I need to like be prolific. I need to do this every single day. And we get so regimental that we forget that what makes us creative, what gives us our source of creativity is actually having something to talk about, actually having something to express. Um, so she suggests an artist date where an individual goes out and does like a with a childlike heart kind of like pursues a curiosity. And it could be a walk, it could be window shopping, it could be visiting a place you've never visited. Um, so artist dates um, have been important. They're harder to do now, um, mm -hmm. just as a mom and kind of like running a business, but I push myself to do them. I don't do them once a week, but I do them enough where I feel like um, I'm, I'm getting it in my life, um, which brings me to when I started. It was, I became a mother in 2015, mm -hmm. December, 2015, my brother, uh, my daughter was born. And I felt so lost. I had just started, um, I had a music career. I was putting out albums for a while um, as an independent singer songwriter. I got married, had a kid. And right before I, right before I had her, I took a painting class again. And it kind of just, all these like desires to create resubmerged. And then I had her and... I, f I was just lost. Like mm. you just get so you're responsible for taking care of this human being. And um, I just felt like I lost myself in that first year. Mm -hmm. And right after, I think right around 2017, end of 2017, beginning of 2018 was when I read The Artist's Way. And then I started doing the morning pages and I found so much clarity in them. And if I go back to some of the writing right you're not so really supposed to go back and read to like find any right crazy. they say you can go back sometimes and like to see just for curiosity's sake a lot of the things that I wrote about almost as dreams um so many of them have come to pass you know so it's been it's been crazy to think about what that the power behind kind of just writing and envisioning what you want mm. in your life so that was that was when I started yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I think that's a good on-ramp into, I'm sure a lot of what's come to pass is is what you're doing today. So I would love to explore all the different ways that you put yourself out in the world as a creative and as a business owner. I guess I would like to start with just what does being creative mean to you? Like what is, there's, I think we all have this, we put it on a pedestal, like what does being creative mean to you? 
Mm. I think being creative is just being a human. Yeah. Um, people who feel far from creativity cringe when I say that. So I cringe when I say it too, but not because I don't believe it wholeheartedly, but because like part of me like reflects back what I think people might think mm -hmm. when I say that, but creativity is part of being human. I mean, we are born into the world with thoughts and ideas. And right now I work with a lot of younger kids, like anywhere between 12 months and up art classes, you yeah. know, and people are like, for real, like they're 12 months, what can they do? And, and it's shocking, because even at 12 months, if you hold two things up, two crayons up, and you say, which one, they'll pick, you know, and if you show them a little something, they'll make marks and the light that comes on in their eyes, when they realize they've just made a mark, and like, that's theirs, like they created something, they made something, they made a mark it's just insane to see right and here we are at even as young as 12 months when we're first recognizing that about ourselves and like every day we create our our life experiences you know i think i think to own that creativity belongs to every human would be so big a responsibility for us to say like wow so i'm responsible for like what kind of day i have i can't blame it mm -hmm. on like circumstances and situations like yeah um, I think that's too hard of a truth to grasp for people to really own their own creativity. And I think it's sad because, yeah, for me to be creative is to just be in touch with your most innate humanity. Like it's in you, you know, mm -hmm. and whether that's your, you know, you get into woodwork, with, um, whether that's like you cook, whether that's um, whatever it is you do, you bringing that's something special that's just yours that's your curiosity and it doesn't mean it's never been done before because let's face it everything's kind yes. of been done before it's not that it's never been done before it's that you're doing it right now in your life in this moment like that to me is creativity and and everyone has it yeah one of the things that you're pointing to that I really love is mm -hmm. there's there's something about innately in a child and in every human, therefore, there's this sense of awe, wonder, and curiosity. And because of, I don't know, different cultures or society or family, there's any number of different reasons. It, if not beaten out of us, it, it slowly deteriorates because we start to build ideas of what should or shouldn't be. And you have this invitational way of saying like, hey, we all in, like innately, we are all curious beings and we can look at anything with awe and wonder. And I, I've heard you point to like really seemingly mundane things like a crack in the sidewalk or yeah, like, like a, someone, someone blowing a, a bubble or something like that. And uh, if there's like changing the way we look at that is in itself, like one of the baseline ways to be really creative. Absolutely. You know, sometimes like we have a bunch of like mothers and like nannies and, you know, caretakers come with the really small kids, you know, and sometimes I have to be like, do you want your own sheet of paper? <laughs> like, uh -huh. You can, you can make one too. Like, it's okay. So I have like mom's art nights every now and again, because, and, and sometimes moms are like, do you just want to like, I don't know, like, can you just host an evening like zoom class or something so and we'll just like get into our kids art stash like we're so good about 
um, even sometimes, not always, not all families, but a lot of families that I work with are so supportive of like nurturing the creativity in their kids, right? And then they're starving for it themselves. And I'm like, why don't you just break into that stash of your kids' art supplies you spent like $100 on? And, you know, it's okay. Like you can, you can draw too. So like my daughter and I, when we do uh, art projects, sometimes I'll just put the tripod over and like time-lapse, like, and you'll see both of our hands moving. And it's like, she's working on hers. I'm working on mine. Sometimes we're working on things together. And it's like, just as a reminder, like this can be so edifying to your soul to just say, I don't have to be a professional. I don't even have to be proficient. I don't even have to be good. I don't even have to like it. But the idea that you can put something to something else and create something that didn't exist before, you know, whatever those two things are, that's innately human, you know, because I mean, I know that there are a higher form of like chimpanzees and stuff that like, and even elephants, Asia elephants painting, right? So I don't want to, I don't want to like downplay all the other like creatures in the world they have their own kind of but I think we're the only that can regularly daily like put two things together two or more things together to make something that didn't exist before Mm -hmm. you know if we wanted to yeah so another thing that I really admire about you is the way so you started your career in a little bit more of a traditional path but you You actually did bring up in this conversation that at one point you felt a little bit lost around it, around your creativity and like, what, you know, what's my place with this? But it, it seems like you never actually fully lost sight of its importance in your life. And like, even when, with your first job, I know that you were still dedicating time to creating, like recording music. I don't know if you were painting yet. And, you know, in my personal experience, I, in a lot of ways have lived a compartmentalized and siloed life and pegging myself in a lot of either or scenarios. So it's like, if I, you know, I started my career in accounting and it was like, I, I over identified, I think with being that person. And I didn't think of ways that I could express myself outside of work or how I would advance uh, in different ways other than professionally. And I'm, I'm wondering, like, I'm curious how that has, that always stuck with you. Like you were able to it didn't seem like you ever lost yourself in, even though you've made many pit stops in your life, you're able to stay kind of attuned to like what was most important to you. And I'm, I'm just curious what comes up for you as I say that. You know, it's funny because I never thought of that. And I never thought of this particular connection until our conversation right now. But the whole point of like, I was never hassled about my creativity as long as Mm. I kept my grades up and I think my professional pursuits and like being able to support myself financially and not have to like you know ask my parents for support like that was the equivalent the adult equivalent of me getting the good grades right Mm. so like nobody nobody cares as long as my boss doesn't care as long as I show up and and I do a stellar job my parents didn't mind as long as, you know, I, I wasn't homeless on the street and I could pay for my rent, you know, like, they're like, fine, if you want to like do the side thing, I guess. And it was always my way of um, justifying my space, maybe earning my creative space, because as long as I could take care of what was my, what society deemed as my principal, uh, 
goal or my principal like responsibility as long as I was doing that um, and I was grown up on that kind of like merit system right like my mom was like you can continue having chorus as your elective as long as your grades don't suffer at all but like it was her greatest disappointment when uh, I think it was in middle school you can only win one award and I was like top in math top in music so all the teachers got together and they were like which award should she get you know uh-huh. and I got the music award and it was the greatest disappointment for my mother because she <laughs> knew I could have gotten the math award too so the idea of like as long as I did all of these things stellar I could do the other things so I think in a lot of ways for a long time I was justifying and validating and earning my my creativity I was earning my space to be creative now I'm like I don't care what you think <laughs> like um you know I, I I found this place where I can be creative all day long in different degrees varying degrees and I've really just leaned into that and stepped away from the conventional kind of corporate life or um having to like have the job that my parents are proud to tell people I oh Mm. she's a banker oh she's (laughs) she's doing her MBA you know so stepping away from that and now she actually has to tell people oh she teaches art classes oh she's a painter oh she's an artist she's working on you know she's working on this and and now now they really become okay and comfortable with that but for a long time I think I was earning the right Mm. earning the right to do what I wanted to do was there a specific moment or moments that stand out where you were able to turn the corner from, you know, you at one point I'm earning this and I get to do it because I'm, you know, doing my job. And now it's just, I, this is part of me and I'm doing this. I don't need to earn it. it just is me. Listen, varying degrees because right now, and I highly doubt that these people are going to listen, you know, because they're not in this world, but like I have two corporate clients right now that um, I do design work for. And that's like, I, again, through my morning pages recently realized like they are the last kind of shred of me holding on to the right to create, but it's become over the years. So, so there's no turning point. I haven't reached that yet. Mm-hmm. I, let's talk in three months, you know, because that's kind of like my plan, but the idea that all it had done over the years was shifted. So I left corporate banking and I did my MBA in marketing and marketing was supposed to bring me closer to the creative side of like Mm -hmm. business, right? Uh, Which it did. Um, I started my own design firm, um, like a website design and graphic design kind of firm, like a small nimble three-person firm. Um, And we did some great client work and I kept two of my clients when I was pregnant and I knew I was entering motherhood and I kept two of my like better, like higher clients who I had a great relationship with. And I said, uh, and then I started doing my art on the side, growing into my art as my, as I got more comfortable in my skin as a mother, right? Like, mm-hmm. and I kept those clients on. And now I'm just this week, actually, I realized I'm like, you know, I'm really, cause I sit there and my shoulders get tense when I'm doing this mm-hmm. design work. Cause I'm like, I like, I fight it with my, viscerally like my body doesn't like because it's not really like super creative it's Mm -hmm. not it's not really pushing me to my highest greatest good it's kind of just something I'm doing that's adjacent to creativity right so and I realized like so I'm not there yet Mm -hmm. it's 
I haven't reached that turning point. But I think that if you think of like a full circle as being 360 degrees, I feel like what it really was, was not a swift 180 turn, is that it's like one degree yes. closer to where I want to be. And it's like, I just do one shift, face the sun for a little, you know, a little bit closer. And I think I'm getting to that place, but it definitely wasn't like, oh, one morning I woke up and I snapped my fingers and I was like, I'm not taking this anymore, you know? Um, but the biggest shift was probably corporate back to school um, and then school to starting my own thing. Yeah, so it, there wasn't a biggest step. <laughs> just really like one degree, maybe I took a five degree turn. Um, and I think I'm just there almost. Like like I said, talk to me in three to six months and uh -huh. it'll be a different, it'll be a different scenario. Well, I actually love that answer because I think it is... It might not be exaggerated, but a lot of people talk about these aha moments where, you know, life mm -hmm. just like flips upside its head and everything changed. And mm -hmm. uh, there you know, it could be like we maybe fantasize about the dramatic moments where we're doing the corporate yeah. life and we just like flip the table and walk out of there. And, and made it made a six like six figure like earnings the next year. And you're like, that's it. Gary Maguire style. Like we just, yeah. we, we take the goldfish and we're out of there. And then we, you know, we live life on our own terms. Oh, and goldfish. So <laughs> <laughs> in my experience, I mean, in my personal experience already, it's been, I've always fantasized about like, I, I still do accounting part-time and I have really put on a pedestal the day where I will be coaching full-time mm -hmm. and what has been truer for me and what I've heard more in other people's stories is that it usually like I have a need for security. So like doing something that pays the bills while I have the creative flexibility to do what I, you know, more passionate about is actually, I think more in line with the way that most people get to where they want to go. It takes, it usually yeah. takes a lot of time to get to the, the destination. And I'm focused more now on enjoying the ride there and and the fact that i am able to uh even express myself creatively in this way like even in this conversation like what a, what a gift it is to be able to do this so yeah well, like what what comes up for you as i say that optimistic realist right yeah, yeah. like you can dream but you you don't live in the dream right you do have to kind of like wake up then plan then take action um something that comes up like an immediate thought is um messy action right mm -hmm. so like there's this area where in time where you're in one place you want to get to a certain destination and like yeah it's not the take the goldfish and flip the tables and you know give the middle finger and be out like it's actually going to be the messy action stage where there is like overlapping and there's uh, the compartmentalization that you talked about earlier, right? Mm -hmm. And at one point, just giving yourself grace and saying, this is all me. Like the person mm -hmm. who decided that they wanted to go to school to be an accountant and like serve people in this way and to like have this career, that's part of me too. And somewhere, somehow, like, I think the thing that people, and, and I fall victim to it as well, is like, oh, I totally wasted those years. Like, yes. mm, I don't know. I don't think so. I think that whatever you learn in your, in your 
uh, either personal experiences or situations or things that you learned um, in different disciplines and classes, none of it is, is a coincidence. Mm -hmm. And if you will allow it to, like all of it can become a part of whatever it is you're going to create, you know? Um, and that's one of the things that I've been meditating on a lot lately. Like there's a part of my, um, so I do an abundance affirmation, right? And it's a statement that I write maybe I rewrite it. Maybe I write it once in the beginning of the year and then I tweak it kind uh -huh. of um, every quarter ish. Right. Um, but there's a part, there's a line in it that says I am fully equipped for the divine plan of my life. Right. And when I say that, I really think when I meditate on that, I really think to myself, like every experience I've ever had as a child, right. Like having to earn or not knowing it at the time, but earning my right to be creative every entrepreneurial experience I had since I was eight and up, you know, um, having all that responsibility as a child, I was a sociology major in college, like everything divinely equips me, right? Like that fully equips me for this divine plan of my life. And I don't need to know right now exactly how those pieces come into play. All I need to do is trust that it does, you know, like mm -hmm. it's not a coincidence that I live the life I'm supposed to live. Yeah, had the pain that I had had, you know, like it, it, none of it is is a coincidence. And I think when you're okay with that, you you kind of come to a peaceful place. Mm hmm. Mm, that's so beautiful. Yeah, I I could feel that like the the way that life is just happening for you. If you're in the right frame of mind, you can look back on anything that's ever happened in your life mm -hmm. and say like, yeah, that's that was exactly the way it was meant to be. Yeah, there's one there's one thing that was coming up for me. Or, like in the beginning of your last answer, where there's also this kind of invitation to even in accounting or dry work, or in your case, if you're working, if you're doing like design work for a corporate company, there's mm -hmm. like, you could bring your own flavor into whatever you're doing. And still, even though it's not as fulfilling necessarily as meeting it in, you know, painting on the canvas, or for me, it's coaching and having like a really intimate conversation with someone there is, there's still a way that we can show up to everything in our life that is an expression of our gifts. Absolutely. So yes, it does drive me insane to like sometimes have to work on the same kind of, you know, poster designs and like you're doing fonts and you're like, uh, uh -huh. you know, and you have to like look at copy and make sure everything like makes it. So like the tedium parts of things, sure. Is everything like, sunny side up all the time no no it's absolutely not and again that's another thing you just kind of accept and you say I would infinitely prefer to do that you know and like to get to where I need to be then and I loved banking when I was in it but then to be in banking or like in a retail environment mm -hmm. and and at any time I think it's about presence mm -hmm. being like truly there in that moment Another thing I'm just like meditating a lot on these days, um, the idea that this and this too shall pass, whether yes. it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's mediocre, like this moment will pass and the next will come. And like, so in this moment right now is the only thing you can control. I can, you know, just... I get tense, but like, if I don't loosen myself up and just kind of get through this moment and do this right, correctly right now, then it's going to drag on to the next moment and the next and the next, or I could just bring my best self as, 
conjure up as much of my like, you know, enthusiasm as possible and be here, do this so that I can show up for the next thing that I have to do. So like yesterday was my day devoted to like this client work. And so my shoulders were tense. My, my husband, bless his heart. I mean, I bit his head off like twice. <laughs> he asked me if I was okay. And I was like, of course I'm okay. <laughs> I was like, don't ask me any questions. And I was like, Ooh, Ooh, girl, you are tense. <laughs> like, and you know, you kind of got to get through that. Now, today I have this pleasant conversation with you. I got to teach in the morning. And then, you know, later today I have on my docket to like illustrate and, you know, do all the creative things that I want to do. But had I not brought my full self yesterday and not done it, that would be lingering in the back of my mind. Mm -hmm. Deadline, deadline, yes. <laughs> you got to get this done, you know? Um, yeah. So presence, I think, is important, whether you like it or not. If you don't like it, you still embrace it, still mm -hmm. embrace it right now. Like, I don't like doing dishes, but I tell you, like, lately, I've just been like, you know what? I could just hate this mm -hmm. or I could just, like, embrace the fact, like, I love having a clean home. I love nurturing my family with a meal. So if this is part of that, then let me just embrace this part of it, too. And, like, I know some women are probably going to, like, side-eye me here and, like, but like, I, if I love all those other things, then all, everything that comes with it, I can love too, you know, yeah. it's, yeah. it's weird. It's very weird. It's very idealistic. I know I'm, I tend to be one of those optimistic people. People roll their eyes at, but I'm fine with that. Mm. I've always been that way. There's no eye <laughs> roll over here. Sorry to all the moms out there who are like, <laughs> I don't want to do another dish. I get it. I do get it. And I do feel that sometimes too. Yeah. And I'm hearing there's, yes, there's an optimism and, and there's also a real, there's a realness about you. That's like, I get really fucking frustrated sometimes. Yes. And I am, I'm not like this perfect person, you know, like I'm yeah. wishing, I'm wishing that I was in a different moment and I'm wishing that, you know, circumstances were a little different for me sometimes. Absolutely. And what, where I actually wanted to go from here is, you know, what, what sounds like is really helpful with that is two words that came up presence and meditation and yes. they go they very much go hand in hand but i would love to hear there's abundance meditation has been brought up and i'd love to hear what you know more about what that's like but then also how does meditation help you cultivate presence or if there's any other ways that help you cultivate presence in your life oh man i feel like meditation is presence i feel like the essence of meditation and i'm not a good meditator so uh -huh. let me by the rules, right? So, you know, people like, yes, I sat still and I like did meditation for a half hour. I'm like, mm, that's not who I am. So <laughs> like, I um, have an abundance um, statement that I read in the mornings and the evenings. Um, my friend Katie is, an, is a great coach. You should connect with her. She's, she does, has the ambitious movement. And so I have this abundance affirmation and in it is, you know, my statements of I guess it's like a reciprocity statement. Here is what I am bringing through my energy to the universe. And here is what will come to me on tidal waves of abundance and good, you know? And really it's an exercise in challenging any of the lack mindset that we grow up with and everyone has it in some shape or form, right? Like whatever is getting in the way of your good coming to you, you kind of affirm and state kind of what you believe, what your faith is in, like this notion of I'm bringing my, if I bring million dollar energy, 
my vibration has no choice but to attract million dollar reward, you know, because I'm on that level. So if I'm not, if I'm not there financially, then I'm blocking my own, like, it's about identifying the things that the mindset that's blocking kind of your vibratory energy, you know, and getting it to that level. So um, that's what kind of the abundance affirmation is. I can even send you kind of like what I use as like outline, but uh, I've kind of tweaked it in my, in my own way. And for me, meditation is I take one of my crystals and, you know, each of them I've imbued like a different um, trait to like, so rose quartz is like, I'm holding it now, right? Like Uh a rose quartz is for um, love and um, like clarity. So when I hold this, I remind myself of um, self-love, love love for my community, love for my family. And like, you, you kind of just think and sit on that. And what I do when I meditate and what I aim for the state of being is like where I can feel kind of like my pulse and Mm -hmm. I can feel um, in the pit of my stomach, like I can feel not, but it's not quite butterflies, right? Right. Because you're not in a state of like anxiety or anything. So it's not butterflies, but like you feel the essence of who you are in the depth of your stomach. So that's how I explain it to my six-year-old because she, uh, when I get up in the morning, she's like, I'm going to meditate too. And she like sets out her magnetiles and creates a shrine. And she sits there (laughs) with a little um, candlelight, like fake candlelight thing. And she puts it in the middle on a little plate and she just sits there and she goes, I will have a positive day. Mm. I will have a good day. And it's just like, and I say here, you want to breathe and really get to a place where you can feel your body vibrate, you know, like, and that's when I reach that state, sometimes it takes two minutes, five minutes. I just sit there and I feel that like undeniable feeling that I'm alive, I'm Mm. human. And if I am alive and here in this moment, then anything is possible. Anything is possible. So uh, that's how I meditate. There's, there are gurus, you know, out there that are cringing, I'm sure in their, in their very, you know, divine ways, Um, whatever, however, a divine person, like side eyes you, that's what's happening now. But for me, I just feel my, um, my absolute presence, like in that moment. Mm. So presence and meditation go together for me. So yeah. It's like the ultimate presence is when I'm meditating. And I'm, I'm wondering, I'm feeling this like heightened sense of possibility, just the way that you're describing that. And I'm wondering if maybe a, even a third leg of this is like, when you, when you are able to cultivate that and you're, you feel that like, that feeling in your stomach and it's, it's Mm -hmm. not quite butterflies, but you're fully present Mm -hmm. and you bring that into creation. Like what, what are, what are some things that have emerged for you? Or there's also a backwards way of like, have you in the middle of creating something then backed into like, wow, this is like, I'll call it that feeling of flow or Mm. there's like a Zen that happens where you're just like, you're so in, in the moment doing the thing. And I'm, I'm wondering how those kind of play back and forth with each other. Yeah. You know, for a long time, when I, when I was meditating, I would visualize things like almost like force myself to like envision. So I'd close my eyes and be like, I'm going to be this, I'm going to be successful at this. And I would like, all the things that my brain would conjure up that went along with kind of what that success looked like. So for instance, if I say like, I'm going to be a 
celebrated children's author and illustrator. And then you think about going to book signings and you kind of like rationalize it with your brain. And then you start visualizing the things that your brain is telling you kind of go hand in hand with that. So there's, um, that's kind of how I used to back into, you know, the meditation, the presence, and then, you know, tying it into what um, my goals and desires are and my aspirations. And now when I sit, I just, I, there's a surrender aspect, mm. right? Like, yeah. so there's, it's weird. Like I, I know where I want to go, but I no longer, like my goal is to stop rationalizing yes. the path to stop telling myself how that's going to happen and just try and visualize kind of the, the end goal. And then images that I wouldn't have conjured up if I were just like, you know how sometimes you write and you're this description and you're just like, you know, like, and then this will happen. And, you know, taking away those uh, very commonplace expectations and, and descriptions and just kind of letting myself feel what it would feel like Let, letting myself submit to the fact like what I'm attempting to do has been done before so how do I like embody or how do I call on the energies of other people who have achieved the same in their own way like how do I conjure up that level of vibration so I think more on a vib vibratory level yeah. now and, and who knows, again, like three months from now, I may be in a different place where I'm like, I've kind of like changed how I think about this. But in this moment, I think more on the vibratory kind of like energy, like where am I energy wise? Am I like in this place where I'm like, I don't know, I'm self-taught, you know, like, and you're in the doubt phase, you're like, am I really like, do I deserve this, you know? Or am I at a place where I say like, it's been done before, it can be done again. There's yeah. no reason why it can't be me. So that's like a little up from there. And there's and then there's the the place where I'm I'm meditating to be. And that is, it's already done. Mm -hmm. Like there's this fourth dimension of like perfection and completion. And like what I aspire to do has already been done been done. So if I think of it as already done, then all I need to do is manifest it here. You yeah. know, that next painting I want to paint, it's already done. Mm -hmm. um, and where I get the hints and clues and the hunches of where I need to go with my next painting are the things that attract my eyes now. So like the things that, um, so, you know, every artist, um, Austin Kleon's this, right? Steal like an artist, you know, every artist is really the culmination of their inspiration, of their experiences, plus their like inspiration, plus like, you know, like it's, yeah. there's no like one way to do something. And you... I'm going to look at 10 paintings and some of them are going to draw me and others are going to be like, hey, it's nice, but I pass, you know, and great job, but really not for me. But then they're the ones where you're like, I want to know how that's done. Like, I want to try this. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, kind of like backing into the vibrational level that I need to be to give myself um, kind of that green light. Like, no, it's whatever you want to do is already done. It's already completed. You just have to manifest. It. And then all of a sudden there's this, okay, there's, it's done. I've reached the, I know that there's an end to this race, right? I know that there's a finish line. I've already passed it. Now I just need to do the legwork and take the action that's going to bring it about mm -hmm. here on this three-dimensional slower plane. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> so, so I'm loving all this and I, I'm 
I'm finding myself maybe wanting to get carried away and just like keep keep getting our head in the clouds and talking about like all these wonderful visions. Yeah. And I'm also in the back of my mind, I'm envisioning maybe some of my more skeptical listeners going like, all right, Mike, like you guys are you yeah, guys are starting to that. lose. Yeah, like you guys are losing me a little bit. You're you're talking yeah. about uh, you know, surrendering and and abundance meditation and using your vibrational frequencies. Mm-hmm. And I think like that's great. And that really speaks to me. And also, like we've touched on, you have this really great way of making art like super accessible for e- for mm-hmm. the people that are skeptics and people who say, I'm not creative. Like you couldn't possibly convince me in the, in, there's no way in the world that I'm creative. And so if we go like all the way back to like really ground level practical and like mm-hmm. this, this skeptical person's going like, Sophia, Everything you've you've said so far, it's it sounds great, but it's a little grandiose. Like they're I'm, rolling their eyes at me, right? Like, oh gosh, here she like, goes. What the hell is this woman yeah. talking about right now? Yeah. So, like, where would you start with them? Hmm. So, I mean, getting to the place that I am, I mean, there's a. I'm from Brooklyn, New York. Like, skepticism is something that you're, you know, kind of hand fed. You know, when you're when you're young and you grow up in the city, and so I get it. Um, and I don't think that everybody needs to be at a certain place. I would say, for me, I am where I am because because I was ready to be, because mm-hmm. I needed to be. But are you asking from like a spiritual standpoint, I'm, or are you? I'll make it a little like, more specific, like. Yeah. Let's just say some, there's someone skeptical, but and that you're able to kind of sense, though, that like, yeah, it would be nice for them to have something, but it, do, it just doesn't feel like it's within reach for mm-hmm. them right now because we're talking about it from a, it, maybe not abstract way, but it's, it is a little bit like we're talking about the divine and the universe. Yeah, and- yeah, yeah. So then, oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. So let's break it down like on a, on a more, I guess like grounded level right yeah yeah if you're if you're gonna cook something that you've never cooked before what do you do right like what's the first step like for me like i google yeah look up a recipe and i look at a pic i look at the pictures and i say which one looks the most delicious and then i click on that recipe Uh i also look at the amount of stars and how many reviews right so i would say like but then you like go into the recipe and you look at the different ingredients you look at the process, right? And you say, mm, I'm not going to do a three hour prep job, but then you'll look up the quick recipe for this and it'll say like, hey, you can do the prep in 15 minutes. Okay, that sounds more like where I am. Great. Like, I'm not trying to make, I'm not trying to make Gordon Ramsay's beef Wellington right now. <laughs> it's a very detailed process, right? But I can try something different. So I would say, I would say anytime you're looking at getting into practical practices, do your research. Like you got to start somewhere, right? And you ha- it has to align with who you are at the moment. If somebody had, so if I, w- if I five years ago were listening to this podcast, I'd be rolling my eyes. Mm-hmm. Me too. Let's just put it that way, right? <laughs> so, but if somebody can say something practical, like, hey, when you go shopping, you make a list, do you? Like, does that help you? Maybe you just put down the things that you absolutely need and then you pick up things that you see that look fresh or like that entice you. I think picking up practices to insert into your daily life so that you can start thinking and conceiving the life that you want to have, if it's different from what you have today, Mm -hmm. start with a list. 
-hmm. That's how I started. That's how I met my husband. Like, you know, at some point I was like, I don't understand. Like, what do, and, and, you know, you don't just date everybody that asks you out. I made a list. He knows this. I made a list and I wrote what was most important to me. I'm not talking about that. Like, I'm not talking about the, um, tall and handsome and how does this person make you feel how um when they make a promise do they you know like things like that was important to me you know say what you say what you do do what you say like somebody who's like keeps to their word um so like things like if it's a partner you're looking for make a list what does that look like how does it make you feel if it's um a creative practice you're looking for what does it look like how does it make you feel you know it has to be actionable for you and it has to be realistic for you. And nobody knows your life circumstances better than you do. So if you want to paint more in your life, how do you inject more painting? Like even me, I struggle with this every day because like, how do I, how do I set my day up so that I um, paint more, you know? So I have my paints ready on the go. I have my brushes out in a mason jar and they're sitting like next to my plants and they stare at me every day, like paint with me, you know? Uh -huh. um, how do you give yourself the clues? How do you design your space to be conducive to the things that you want? If you're like, I wanna do, so one of the things on my list is I just wanna stretch, like I just wanna do 15 minutes of yoga a day. I have the app, it's on my phone, it's on my laptop, it's on my iPad, right? So that's not the problem. I realized I'm like, we just moved into this new place. I'm like, we don't have a yoga mat here. <laughs> like, it's just the simple things. Like, what is that next cue or like that thing that's getting in your way? And the other thing is, if I wait, if I don't do it the first thing in the morning, it's not going to get done because there's always a million things that seem to just need my attention at that moment. So I know for a fact that when I was doing that practice every day, it was the first thing I did. Mm -hmm. Like I woke up boogers in my eyes and I would do, I would stretch and do my 15 minutes of yoga. Cause I knew that if I didn't do that in the morning, it wasn't going to happen because I knew my mindset for the day. So a lot of self-awareness goes into it, but ask yourself reverse engineer. Like we talked about this a little yes. bit, right? Like you, how do you come about it from like behind reverse engineer it? What is it you want in your life? And it could be anything from like a new dress to, you know, a yoga practice or whatever. What is that thing? Name it, identify it. What does it look like? Why do you want it? How does it make you feel? Once you've defined what that is, reverse engineer it. Every day in your life and the daily, like what is it you actually have to change in your triggers and your practices? So one of my coach friends was like, there's a, there's a what is it called? Stacking or, or yeah, something. Yeah, habit like, stacking. Yeah, habit stacking. That's right. So I was doing a creative warnings like um, community thing and somebody was like, that's habit stacking. I was like, really, there's a name for it. So if you know that you want to drink more water, then work it into something you do every day. So mm -hmm. if I don't, my husband does this. If you know you want to drink more water in a day and you know you drink coffee every day, that drink a glass of water before you have your coffee, that kind of thing, yes. you know? So um, the habit stacking portion. So what are the different tools and techniques that a coach like you might be able to help incorporate into your life, right? To get to yeah. the end goal that you desire. But I think most people don't even know what they desire. Mm. You, yeah. you find that like, that's a fair statement. Like yeah. no one's really asked themselves like, by in, in a year, this is what I, how I would like my life to be materially different. And if you don't know what that is, then how in the world could you possibly 
make the substantial steps? How could you take the substantial steps to get there if you don't even know where you want to be? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Well, as a coach, so, I feel like you must find that. Yeah, of course. And yeah. so like one of the one I love this because I the last book that I thought would come into this conversation today was Atomic Habits. But I, have you heard of that book or read it? Atomic Actually, Habits? we own it. I haven't been able to read it. So it's on our bookshelf and um, and I, ha- I haven't read through it yet. Mm. But it's like it, the yellow book, right? With the red. I like it's like a of, it's like an off white book. It's like an off white. And uh, yeah, it doesn't have a lot of color on it. But mm. what I was what I was really going to get at was one of the I mean habit stacking is one thing so it's like if you're already doing something every day then just attach another habit to that and another thing that you were speaking about was like for painting it's it sounds too simple to be true but like if you want to paint more then just make it obvious so like one of the initial you're giving yourself the cue I think you even named cue if you put it in your purview in your line of sight like it's going to be hard to avoid that. Or if you put the yoga mat out, you're going to say, oh shit, like the yoga mat's out. So like, right. it's a reminder to do it. But yeah, with, with regard to the not knowing what you desire, one of the things that I try and point people to is to look backwards, right? Like at one point we, we had an idea of what we just did for fun before we had certain beliefs about like for you, you didn't believe that you had a right to be creative without uh, proving yourself in school or making a certain amount of money, it seems like. And when we were six years old, that probably wasn't the case. So I will ask my clients or people questions about, yeah, when you were six years old, like when was a time that you felt the most joy in your life or the most ease? And like, what exactly were you doing? And like, really place yourself in that moment. And then from generating from that place, you can bring it into a, a present day scenario where it's like yeah I just liked being outside and like being around trees and so like that brought me peace and then that would spark something else in my life or like for me like playing basketball was such a big thing and for whatever reason my you know mid-20s self would say that's great Mike like you liked basketball what's how is that useful in your life but if I could just stay really attuned to the six-year-old in me then I know it's just fun. Like that's all it was. It was a good time. You just hit on something because everything these days, like in the business world, like you reach a certain age and it's like, what's the return on that investment? Like what's the ROI? Because if time is money and therefore time is investment, then what is your return on that time? Mm -hmm. And like people feel the need to constantly assess that with everything in their life and in certain things in my life it applies in other things it doesn't because or the return is not the return is not readily visible at the moment you know like I do not know but like my current happiness or my current state of joy like that where's the quantification for that nobody Mm -hmm. quantifies that you know so it becomes this this nebulous thing that always gets pushed to the back burner because it would be nice to have, but it's not a need to have. Yeah. Right. And meanwhile, we're more dissatisfied with our lives. We're unhappy at our jobs, right? Like our families are suffering because we're angry and bitter, right? We we're like resentful of anybody else who's doing anything creative because there's a deep rooted desire to be doing something of your own. So like all these like, negative emotions that come from not doing the thing that 
doing small doses of even, you know, mm. could really just alter the state of your life, the state of your day, you know, and we just don't place enough importance on, and people say self-care, everything's about self-care, yeah. right? but it's like self-expression is a thing too, mm-hmm. you know, like how often do people truly feel listened to or how, tr- how often do people truly feel expressed in their daily life? The essence of like humanity and like, like my, my humanity is going to be the point of view that I leave behind when I'm gone or, you know, just to be very like um, existential, like when I'm gone, but also in my day, like what mark have I made on this day? And if you're an accountant where creativity is not really encouraged because that lands (laughs) you in jail, um, you know, like you find that your actual voice is not, there's a, you know, article three indentation two, like for every scenario that you could possibly come, there's no room for creativity in certain things. So where are you making the room for that? So that you are recognizing your own humanity, you know, Mm -hmm. your own, like, again, I, I know people roll their eyes at the word divinity, but I think everyone is an expression of that. You know, where are you getting in touch with that divine part of yourself, the part of you that's going to create something and leave it behind. I love that. Where I wanted to go next with you was around SM Art Studios and then mm-hmm. Creative Mornings. And those are, from what I've researched, the two top expressions of your work. And I would just, I would love to hear more about them and what you bring to that. Sure. So I'll start with Creative Mornings. Um, I am the host for the Boston chapter of Creative Mornings, which is a global community that used to meet in person pre-pandemic monthly. We'd have like a creative uh, guest speaker and it was a free monthly breakfast lecture series. And so I was able to host in person amazing guests from all over Boston. Um, I think we're over 280 chapters. Don't quote me on the number at present because it's constantly growing. When we moved to virtual because of the pandemic, um, things kind of, you know, it's hard to have guests. It's hard to kind of keep people's um, attention. So for the last few months, we've taken a bit of a hiatus um, because people were just Zoom, like Zoomed out. Mm -hmm. So, um, but the essence of it is is to create a community of like-minded, kind-hearted creatives. In a, mm-hmm. in a given city. And if you're visiting a city, so if I were to visit Venice or New York or um, San Francisco, I could, if it coincided with my trip, I could visit one of those chapters. And if I said, I'm from Boston, everyone would be like, yeah, creative mornings. And it's just this like amazingly warm, fuzzy community, mm-hmm. um, which I fell in love with over, gosh, eight years ago. Eight years ago, I went to my first event here um, when Keith Frankel was the host. And, um, and I quickly became a volunteer because I was like, this is amazing. I need to be a part of it. I don't know how to be a bystander. I can't just be, I don't know if you know people like this or if you are yourself, but like, I am not a good participant. I like uh, to like take an active role. So I fell in love with it after the second one. I was like, I pretty much stalked him until on all <laughs> platforms at my disposal um, to say like, I really want to volunteer. Let me know how I can be a part of this. And then fast forward uh, four years, I want to say, fast forward a few years, Keith had to leave the city and um, the great privilege of becoming host um, 
was passed on. And yeah, it's an amazing community. If you're ever like, if you don't already go to the one in New York, you should. They're amazing. I think they sell out in like 10 minutes, like, and the tickets are free, but they like sell out. Mm -hmm. And if you're ever in Boston, of course, come visit us. Oh yeah. But again, you'll never find a warmer community of people, just good humans. Um, I've never bumped into somebody who was mean to me (laughs) and it's like, or, or rude or anything like, uh, but it's a beautiful experience and a beautiful community, um, which I encourage any creatives to become a part of. You don't even have to be like a self-proclaimed, like super creative. Like you don't have to work in creativity for a while. Like our sponsors were, um, account, one was an accounting firm was one was a printing firm and they just wanted to be in touch with the cool hip creatives, you know? <laughs> yeah. For, and for me, it was like, you don't have to be in a creative profession to come. We have one woman on our team, Annie. I love her. She is a lawyer. So she is on, she's like, I just love that you say it's okay to like be what I am and like, and just still come and like, and express the part of my creativity that that is, you know, um, without feeling like I don't belong. So everybody belongs. So if you feel uh, an inclination, you need to check it out. Yeah. Um, you can just go to creativemornings.com and there's like a drop down of all the cities we are, we are currently located in. So that's Creative Mornings. And SM Art Studio is, people ask me like, where does SM come from? I'm like, listen, I wanted a name, but I don't want like regular name that everybody has. Like people have like art studios where they open an open the doors for children and the community and it's like friends art studio which is lovely you know or like rainbow art studios like I wanted to be able to evolve with whatever I want it to become so SM is just spelling out my initials yeah Um, so SM art studio um, is located in Charlestown Massachusetts where I live and work and it's my studio where I create. So when I'm creating larger works of art, I just have them laid out all over the studio, all different drying times and parts of the process. Um, and a few times a week, I host art labs for little ones. I have like a two to five class. And I have, I just started a sensory art lab for like 12 to 24 month kids. I do, um, this past summer, I did a art as therapy session for a high school group um, where they did like large 30 by 30 abstract canvases. Um, and I kind of facilitated loosely a process for them to express themselves without being fearful of this giant canvas. I do mom's art nights and a lot of community collaborations. And the idea is that our mission is to spark joy and inspire creativity, right? And often I get asked the question like, you know, people who are like, oh, that must be really cute. But like, like a 12 month old, like, isn't that a little like young or, and not too young to hold a crayon necessarily, but like to call it art, you know? And so there definitely is a lot of like preparation, thoughtful preparation on my part. I'm, I'm, I would say I lie somewhere in between the teaching how to draw, right? Because there are teachers who do that. Like, here's how you draw a realistic cat that's not me. I'm not going to teach you how to draw a realistic cat. Don't come to me for that. Right. And then there's like the Montessori, like everything is sensory, splash it all around, paint yourself, paint your face. It's okay. Like, I'm definitely not that either. So I'm something in the middle where, um, I do have like an end vision for something that an artist can look at and recognize. Um, so like this week we did snowman, right? So like, 
um, for the littlest artists, like the 12 to 16 month, I do a lot of the prep work, like mm -hmm. cut out all the like snowman collage pieces, but then I'll like deconstruct everything and they get to choose a uh, carrot shape for the nose. They get to choose like the cutouts that I've created. They get to construct their snowman and then they get to paint with white snow all around. And um, so at the end of it, it's almost like a co-creation because I've prepped the materials for them, but at the end of it, like their marks are so clearly there. And it's, it's incredible because I'll give them choices. Like here are three different pieces of yarn that you can use as uh, a scarf, like frosty scarf, which color do you want? And even the youngest ones, Right. Some of them are like, I'll take them all. And you're like, mm, just try, try and choose one because that's kind of the practice, right? Choose one that really draws you. Um, so the littlest ones have a hard time not just grabbing everything, but right around 15 months, 16 months, they get the concept of like one and they'll like needle in a haystack, go in and pick the one, you know? Wow. Or you'll give them boogly eyes. Love boogly eyes. We put boogly eyes on everything. I don't always assume it's just two, but usually like if you give them two eyes, like, and you say, where do they go? Some are putting it on the, you know, up here and some are putting it like on the forehead and others are putting it like lower on the face and just the expressions that they can make that are so different. Like they'll tilt the hat, they'll make it straight. Like some kids are like super minimal. Like one mom laughs all the time because her kid is so minimal. He never paints to the edges, right? <laughs> so uh -huh. she's like, she's like, it's so funny, but I'm like, that's his style. He could go to the edges and every time we're like, Jack, do you want to paint to the edges? He's like, no, <laughs> he's like 16 months. He's like, no, <laughs> do you want to put this here? No, you know, like, um, but if he does want to do something, he's enthusiastic about it, you know, like, yes, yes, more gems, more this, more that. So what I do there and the, the idea there and kind of like this higher uh, gratification or this higher philosophy is that kids, even as young as 14, 15 months, have a very definitive idea of what they want. You give them a choice. They can make a creative decision. Like mm. it's a create. And I think that's the thing that we tend to, oh, they just chose something. Oh, that's their favorite color. No, they made a creative choice. And then they implemented that creative choice and put it down. And when it was done, they stepped the pride in a child's eyes when they step away from their artwork and they look at it and you're like, who did that? And they're like, I did, you know, and uh. it's just so, it's really magical. And so there's an aspect of the kids experiencing that. I think little ones have a very little say when it's nap time, it's nap time. And some of them know how to fight back, right? On nap times, but like what you eat, like what you get is what you eat, you know, like um, there's so much they can't express or there's so much that they can't decide for themselves, right? Their own bodies are like not in their full control yet sometimes, right? So giving them an, an element of empowerment, right? Mm, like this yeah. is something that you created, you made this choice, you made it happen is really wonderful to see. But I will tell you that the parents discovering this about their children is also such a beautiful thing to see. Like the parents are shocked sometimes, like, wow, sometimes, sometimes parents come to like, I'll help you. And the kid's like, no, <laughs> like, <laughs> I will put this glue on myself, not there. I want it here. And just letting the child take the lead there 
on like those creative decisions and then creating an experience. So my job is to create the experience that they can be proud of at the end. So giving them all the pieces. So like, if you give a kid all the paint, it's going to be, it's going to look muddy. If you give them, um, and then they're going to walk around and they'll still be proud. Like there's still like some pride element to it because they made all the marks. But if, when they walk away from like some of the, so it's like collaborative, like I create some of the pieces, but then you arrange it any way you want and you choose all the accessories you want to put on the snowman and and then you paint in the snow. Like there's something about that that they're super proud of, you know? Mm -hmm. So I create winning, like, art experiences that don't necessarily have a right answer but that's what I do I love to do it the mom's art nights are super super fun too because uh, moms just sometimes they just it's nice for them to just peel away from the daily expectations and create something Mm. so no experience necessary I think that's my that's my forte is that you don't need to have you don't need to have any experience, nor does your end product have to look like anything mm-hmm. um, necessarily. So yeah, I'm getting I'm getting this like this wonderful image of the unmitigated joy that when when you create something that's uniquely you that uh, especially on a child's face when you when you set a 15 month old who like steps back and goes like, Oh, my God, look what I did. Maybe they don't have the yeah. words for it. But you could see it on their face. Yes. And how it's it's not something that really goes away. I mean, it, it gets a little bit buried, but then it's mm-hmm. it, it's available to us at any age, like the the awe of creating something and going like, wow, Absolutely. look at that. And yeah, I'm curious, you know, you've brought up your daughter a couple of times now and you've brought up working with children. First of all, her, I know her name is Ariana. Beautiful yes. name. My, my wife's name is Ariana. It's Oh, is it? Yes. Oh, so that's nice. So I would love to hear what have been, there's so much that we can learn from the way like a, a child reflects things back to us. And I would love to hear your, your greatest lessons in being a parent. No, honestly, um, I think it's incredible how much of yourself they reflect back to you, the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. So sometimes she'll speak to me in a tone of voice where I know she's, she's been listening to me. You know, like my serious voice, I'm like, ooh, that's what I sound like. So they are absolute like mirrors and like oral, like reflections of who you are, like every intonation in her voice when she's like, I don't like when you do that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's me. Like, that's me, how I talk to you. Um, so it's, it's a constant check. But honestly, it's like parenting makes me realize like, I learned so much more from her sometimes, even like just her, her carefreeness and just her ability to observe things for the first time. Right. So I find myself in awe again of like things that I wouldn't have thought, you know, she has a way of thinking about even like she's in school now. So she's in, in, kindergarten and just even dynamics with other kids and it's it's a constant she's constantly learning right and she's constantly figuring out how to navigate who she is around other people and the lessons that I feel like I end up relating to her um, she reflects back to me right so if I say oh you know we're gonna be kind or whatever um, she'll 
she'll show me ways that she actually does that in her life. And, and it, it checks me like, I can't, I don't have a right to teach you to do this if I'm not going to live up to it myself. Mm. So that, that aspect of making you a better human yeah. in that sense. Um, from a creativity standpoint, the child is fearless, fearless, mm-hmm. absolutely fearless. She'll draw anything. She's very observant. So sometimes she'll watch me do something and sometimes on purpose, I'll try something she hasn't done before and she'll emulate that, but do it in her own way. And then to, to be able to praise her effort, her observation, and then her own style of doing it. But honestly, we, she's, she's such a sweetheart. I don't know what else to say about it. She's yeah. just, I feel like on a day-to-day basis, she makes us laugh and she makes us better as parents and as humans. You just can't, you just can't not check yourself when you have that great of a responsibility mm-hmm. to raise a human. Do you, you don't have kids, right? I don't. Not I don't yet. Have kids, I didn't, it didn't sound like it just from the, the way you were talking yet. Not yet. I say <laughs> have babies when you're, when you're ready. Right? <laughs> I, by the time I, we had Ariana, I, there was nothing I wanted more. And I think that uh-huh. that's a great way to bring a, a human into the world. Yes. So. Well, to, to bring divinity back into, uh, mm. into the conversation, I think the divine timing will be right. And uh, yeah. I will be a father when I'm meant to be a father. That's and, uh, right. Yes. And I, and I very, very much already without yet being one pride myself on the father that I will be. And yes. yeah, I just, I'm so looking forward to being a dad and having a kid and having those reflections and, and seeing the way that they, they live with this unbridled fearlessness that, that you were describing. So mm-hmm. it's something that we as adults can emulate and it, and not, it's not as much us teaching them as, as much as this like symbiotic relationship, it seems like. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like I'm constantly learning from her little things, little things just, oh, wow. I wouldn't have thought of, I wouldn't have thought of that, you know? Um, But also constantly checking myself, you know, Mm -hmm. like um, I know that when I am frustrated or like she's children are so, um, fearless but they also are very sensitive to like all the energies you bring right yes so i know that when i'm frustrated or i have a particularly like tense or something situation like she feels that energy instantly um i don't know if you've ever read um eckhart tolle have you read a new earth i haven't it's a great book he talks um about how every person has a pain body and it's your collective um, pain. It's your collective struggles. Like it's all the things that you physically like carry with you inside. And so the, depending on how heavy your pain body is, your density as a human being is, is bigger, right? So instead of like vibrating at a higher level, it's really hard to win your pain body. So if all the suffering and the struggles are like, if you've been a victim before, like your pain body, you struggle with a bigger pain body. And so when you have a bigger pain body, it's harder for you to really elevate and reach your um, highest highs, you know? Mm -hmm. And he talks about how kids, because they're so um, young and so sensitive to all of the energies around them that sometimes they can absorb energies from adult tensions, you know, 
all different kinds of scenarios around them that you don't even think they're paying attention to, but that they'll absorb the energy and that that can become a part of their pain body as they get older, which is why people are always like, oh, you know, like therapy, like the whole, oh, blame your mother kind of thing, right? Because the whole notion that like a lot of your pain body can be something that you absorbed as a child, right? Mm -hmm. And it's unresolved because you don't have the resources to express or to like, resolve them so they just kind of stay there and they fester but that makes me that awareness makes me very conscious of what kind of energy I'm bringing so it doesn't mean that I'm I'm without fault always positive and and like light and feathery with her but like so they're definitely like I'm human I will have my moments but I'm aware I'm aware that if I'm going through something or if my husband and I have a disagreement that the energy in the air is something that she can absorb. So it makes us very mindful of that. Like what energy are we bringing? What energy is in our home? So just a couple more questions for you yeah. before we wrap up. Uh, you, you did mention a couple of books already, but any other books that have been, whether it's instrumental for your growth or books that you recommend most for other people, and it doesn't, it doesn't have to be limited to the creative domain. It could be anything that helped you up-level or understand your life more. So do you, anything that comes to mind for books or resources? Sure. Right now I'm reading um, The Game of Life and How to Play It for like the fourth time. It's um, essays by Florence Scovel Shin, who was this like artist writer that turned into a spiritual leader, right? In the eight, I want to say the 1800s late 1800s, I want to say, but her writing is scripture based, but her thesis is ultimately life is a game and you are either being motivated by one of two forces, either faith or fear at any Mm -hmm. moment, any decision you make is inspired by faith or by fear. And she she has some great like short essays, three to four pages. So I think I'm on my third go around reading her kind of essays right now and they're three to four pages so it's like perfect like little morsels like one reading a day I love um clarity and connection I think it's called young pueblo just put out um clarity and connection uh clarity and connection or clarity and communication I forget but they're short prose of just like heart hitting home hitting little tidbits about relationships self-knowledge you know wisdom Clarity, all this stuff, communication. That's been a lot of fun. Eckhart Tolle's A New Earth was life altering, like that level. I believe Oprah has her copy in the Smithsonian because I think they believe they asked her what was the most influential book in your life. And they said, and she said Eckhart Tolle's A New Earth. And so her copy is in the Smithsonian. Don't quote me on that. Wow. I'm pretty sure that's what I heard. And they do a chapter by chapter um, podcast where she interviews him and talks about each chapter. I think there's 10 chapters. And so it's a 10 episode um, mm. podcast. So if you're reading and then you're kind of doing the podcast alongside, cool. it's great because he answers actual readers questions. But it was earth shattering for me because it helped me understand some of my triggers that mm-hmm. I'm not my thoughts, you know, that I'm actually, so you are not your thoughts. Like sometimes people are like, I'm such a bad person. I like totally wish something bad to happen to that person right now, or they annoyed me or something, but that you are not the thoughts. You are the 
consciousness that acknowledged those yes. thoughts within you, right? So it was life altering for me, that book. Yeah, I, The Magic of Thinking Big, mm-hmm. also a good one. Um, if you are on the cusp of a creative career, at the crossroads of should and must, I think an artist wrote it. I will get you the exact title. I have a copy of it. It's at the crossroad of should and must, I think. And she crosses over from, mm. you know, doing the justifying of her career into just kind of going full on and owning it and not having to, not feeling like you have to earn your creativity. Of course, comes in degrees as it does for me and for many. Um, but yeah, those are just some that come to my mind. Cool, cool. If you want to do abundant stuff, Deepak Chopra's like 21 Days yeah. of Abundance. Uh-huh. Do you do that? I and don't, then there's but... a little book called The Abundance Book. I forget the author's name, but it's a really tiny book. And he has um, he has uh, like different meditations and different um, tenets in there that I almost feel like really influence the 21 day as well. So Awesome. I'll link, I'll link to all of those in the show yeah. notes. Uh, I also want to know where people can connect with you online. Where should I point them to? Yeah, I, Instagram. I haven't been on Facebook much. It's just been too much, too much, <laughs> just too much. Um, but I am primarily on Instagram at I am Sophia Moon. And then if you are interested in checking out or following the studio, it's SM Art Studio, E-S-S-E-M Art Studio. And you can see some cute projects and some cute little artists making art. And they're like the proud faces I'm talking about. Um, sometimes they're camera shy, but a lot of times it uh, just shy, shines through. Um, so if you're just looking for a smile, that's a good one. Um, but those are the two places where you can generally find me. Awesome. Yeah. So I'll link to those in the show notes as well. And I can say personally, I'm excited to start engaging with creative mornings in in the New York area. So that's, uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited to have that on the list. And the last question that I ask all of my listeners, Mm. the podcast is called Mike's Search for Meaning. Mm -hmm. And I want to know for you in your terms, Sophia, Mm -hmm. what does it mean to live a meaningful life? Mm. For me to live a meaningful life is to know my purpose and to live in that purpose, right? And I think this purpose can evolve and change over time. I know the last few years where I've really asked myself what my divine purpose is, right? Again, we're using that word divine. So we can leave, we can even drop that word and say, what is your purpose in life, right? To like know what that is and to live in it. Um, I don't think there is a a qualifying good or bad or right or wrong type of purpose, just something that is yours and that that you identify with wholly. Mine has changed over the last few years, but if you ask me now, my purpose in life is to love and nurture my family and my community and to create art, music, books, and experiences that inspire creativity. So, and I've been like, I recite this, right? Every day and I like, read it in my abundance statement and I own it, but like, I'm also the author of it. So I'm not, I'm not trying to like take something that somebody else wrote and make it mine. Like I fully in this moment believe that that is my purpose on earth. That is why I'm here. I think that this is going to possibly inspire some eye rolls, but I think we're, I think we're all, I think we're, we're all spiritual beings. 
living a mortal experience. Mm -hmm. I believe that when I meditate and I feel the vibration within me, I know that I am more than this flesh and bone. I know that when I cease to exist here, that there's something beyond that. I can't tell you what it is because I don't know. I don't think I'm meant to know, but I know that there's more than that. And if there's more to me than right here, right now, I need to know that I'm here for a reason, right? And that's not to be all like, oh my gosh, I'm so important. You know, like it's not, it's not about that, but that my, just like others before us, right? The Florence Global Shins, the Eckhart Tolle's, the Deepak Chopra's, all these people who are leaving little tidbits of wisdom and knowledge behind them that then future generations, right? And some of them are current generation, but that future generations can use as a guide to like get to where they need to be, right? Mm -hmm. So without making myself grandiose by any stamp, by any like measure, to say that in my realm of influence in my world in my community however big or small that ends up being that my goal is to nurture to love and nurture my family and my community and to create art music books whatever i'm inspired to create experiences right that inspire others to create and when i think of that divine purpose when i think of that reason for being that is my meaning so Again, we, we talk about how do we find material change? How do we make a plan? How do we take kind of the spiritual hoo-ha out of, you know, all the like <laughs> cuckoo-ness out of this and really talk about practical measures for people who are just looking for practical ways to improve their life or find more happiness or find more meaning. It's to say what it is like you resonate most with because those are all your, all your inclinations, all your resonance, like, it's not by chance. Like what you're gonna be drawn to, what I'm gonna be drawn to, they're materially different because we're different people and we're, we're destined to do different things. So to not ignore the hunches, to not ignore the intuition, to like embrace that and define what it is your purpose is. And I think that's how you find your meaning because every day you're waking up and now it's not, I brush my teeth, I eat my breakfast, I go to work. I do what I got to do, go to sleep and start all over again. Mm -hmm. You actually know that you're working towards something that's bigger and greater and good. And it'll, it started before you and it's going to continue beyond you. So if you know that you're a part of that, like you feel your importance and your insignificance all at once. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, it reminds me of, there's a quote that I love. Wisdom tells me I am nothing love tells mm -hmm. me I am everything. And between the two, the river of my life flows. Yes. Wow. That's beautiful. I've never heard that before. Yeah. And that's, you have to send that to me. I will. I will. And awesome. uh, Sophia, wow. What a, what a treat it's been to have you on the podcast. I really enjoyed our conversation and I love the way that you could just like, it seems like you could dive deep in like any number of different areas and, and have this way of engaging in any number of different thoughts and feelings. And yeah, it was, it was just such a treat to have you on. And uh, I appreciate the work that you're doing and the way that you make it so accessible for everyone. And I experience you as someone who's fully living into her purpose right now. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I have my bad days, right? Yes. So for the skeptics out there, um, <laughs> my husband is, you know, can give you plenty of examples of me and, you know, uh, a space. So thank you, right, for all the compliments. But I'll be the first to tell you that 
sometimes people test me in mm -hmm. ways that, you know, um, don't bring out the highest and greatest side of me, but it's a pursuit. And it's, and I think that once, you know, like you have a goal and like that ends up being your North star, mm -hmm. no matter what. So yeah. I have a bad day. I go to bed or wake up and I start over again, you know, yeah. so not to take that, that part of the humanness out of it either, but thank yeah. you so much for having me as well. It was so much fun. Yes, it was I feel like a pleasure. I could have done this for another couple hours. Me too. Me too. Yeah. And uh, yeah, to all the listeners, I hope that you have a great rest of your day or evening and keep living into that purpose, finding that North Star and take care. Peace. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to Mike's search for meaning. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, share this episode with your friends and leave a review. I look forward to seeing you next time, my friends. And until then, stay safe, stay well, and keep living with purpose. Peace.